0: Michael Young's background meant that his family already had preconceived ideas about what they thought his future should entail. He talks about how he tried to go down that path. He ended up at vet school, but then also realized that that wasn't the journey for him. And this chat, he talks about that challenge around having a very different perspective on what his future looked like as an entrepreneur. And how that has been quite challenging, not only for him, but also his family. But Michael also talks about how you can be super productive. And this is something that he's very good at. I've done some of his training, and it's awesome. So if you're looking for more skills to be able to be at your optimum, to be most efficient and produce more quality content and more quality output than you ever have, then you're going to love this chat with Michael. Hi, everyone, and welcome this week's guest, Michael Young. How are you?
1: I am doing absolutely amazing. Thanks for having me.
0: You are welcome. I saw a post of yours just recently, and you were talking about you're, you're someone in business, and I could very much relate to the the journey that you talked about, that your family haven't always necessarily supported it how you might expect someone to support uh, someone's journey that they're passionate about can you tell us a little bit about how that's been for you because i know we're going to get deeper into the burnout situation that you went through Mm -hmm. just for those who would be able to identify in business or actually in any field where they didn't feel like they were getting that support tell us a little bit about your journey absolutely
1: absolutely so just to be upfront i never thought i would be doing what i'm doing now when, I'm, when i was growing up i did not get exposed to entrepreneurship until the third year of my veterinary uh, degree journey and when i like with my background both of my parents climbed the corporate ladder they worked hard and they hustled they pushed you know, all the typical things that Asian family does. And I was being set an expectation with my grades, which are which were pretty high that I can either be a lawyer, doctor, or a failure. And those are my free career paths. Did you so, say it was a third one failure? Did you say? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> lawyer, doctor, or failure. It has a good ranking. It
0: has a good uh, Yeah. And, so, when, sorry. So, just to yeah. clarify, Michael, when you say Asian, do you mean like Asian living in particular parts of the world? Yeah, or I grew up
1: in I, I grew in Hong Kong. I went to international school and I st- I studied abroad after I studied abroad in the UK after graduating high school. And yeah. Um so I was so with my grades and I like animals, I decided to become a doctor, aka a, a veterinary student. Yeah. And I still love animals, I still love the profession, but halfway through my clinical years and especially after I touch upon entrepreneurship, I'm like, "Dang, there's something called personal development. And there's something called entrepreneurship where the income, impact, freedom, and autonomy that you can actually experience is uncapped. I'm like, whoa. And I just became obsessed with just building side businesses, even when I was in clinical years. And I remember when I told my parents the moments that, hey, mom, dad. You know what? I'm gonna give myself nine days. I feel like I'm onto something. I want to actually step away from this prestigious, secure job slash career. You yeah. know, like and I remember my mom just saying this one sentence to me that really hit me like a truck back then. She's yeah. like, Oh we just lose all your money and give up. So they can continue to continue to pursue your career and stop pursuing your dreams because you've got to wake up. And I'm like, and for that moment, I was like, seriously? Throughout all my life, I've been following whatever you told me to do. I could grades, I breathe nothing but air. I studied, I stay away from all the drugs, alcohol anything that a a typical college kid slash high school kid can go through and be exposed to, got good grades, got to this exact um, position that you told me is going to allow me to be successful. But back then, I remember like three months into my first job, I was like, I felt empty. I felt very empty. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I studied hard being a, like, the veterinary degree is probably going to be the hardest degree that you can possibly study. And that's where I learned and experienced a lot of burnout firsthand because I was also building my side business. And when I finally graduated and had that job, I felt like this is it. This is it. And then it's going to be my life for the next 30 plus years. And I'm like, I don't think I'm into this. So I decided <laughs> okay. to take the leap. Yeah. And the backlash that i got in back then like people thought i was crazy especially you know from 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 the network that i had previously they don't even know what coaching is they don't know what marketing is and they don't even know like nobody around me friends wise or family wise were entrepreneurs so i suddenly became a crazy one and i was for the first time in my life on an island by myself with nobody actually buying into or supporting what I'm about to accomplish. Yeah, wow. Can, how old were you when that was going on?
0: Sorry? How old were you? I was 23. Do you remember what that felt like to be in that place of that island?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because I'm not sure what I... I don't think I've ever shared this to any podcast or any social media post that I've that, that I've ever published. The decision that I like the decision of of going full time with my business back then was actually made three months after I broke up with my past girlfriend of five years. Yeah, right. And I was in this position where I just wanted to drown myself mm-hmm. with whatever can occupy my mind. Yeah. And I just wanted to have some support from the people who were closest to me yeah oh, wow. so oh. back then yeah it felt <clears throat> i felt a mix of frustration i felt a mix of discontentment, and then it came this rush of okay i'm gonna prove all of you wrong i don't care not what not what the way says afterwards i'm like i'm just gonna do me and i'm gonna pursue what i know is gonna fulfill me and and allow me to find meaning and started building a network around me replacing friends replacing um yeah like replacing the people that i hang out with and start really immersing myself to both online as well as in-person communities of fellow crazy people (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it now we can laugh about it now but that takes
0: tremendous courage to be able to step into a world after you've come out of a uni degree you've got you even said it the, the plans were doctor lawyer or failure so you're stepping into the failure camp and mm-hmm. uh <laughs> in that re- and getting that reinforced by by the people most important to you but yeah like how did you find that courage to to take that step
1: i think back then if if it weren't for all the personal development that i had before that or the burnouts and all the like self-awareness that gave me because of the those burnouts i would have probably just crumbled and just listen to other people's voices and just get a job or never made that decision but back then like i would say even after all these years in business, making, taking all these risks and making all these big investments in my business, quitting my job and stepping away from this secure position or this secure career has no doubt been the scariest decision I've ever made. Can you just pause one sec, um,
0: Michael? Yeah, right. And I imagine that all that weight of pressure that you were experiencing despite the fact that there was party that knew you need to do it, that, that must've been so confronting. I know we're going to get to the story about the burnout, but I want to touch on that breakup because I know a lot of people listening will identify that the impact of, of that. And so from how you described it, it sounded like it was pretty heartbreaking for you.
1: Yeah, it was, it was, but, coming to think about it like after doing the inner work and operating the energy, it's kind of like the biggest blessing that I had seriously. Um, The reason why is because like back then, my ex and I back then, we were kind of growing apart. I was doing this, like we were both vets back then and I struggled a long time on whether I want to go for the specialist route and become a orthopedic surgeon as a specialist, or starting my own business, I decided to start my own business, and I was in this side hustler mode where I would wake up in the morning, go to the gym, work, get back, um, like, and run on my business after work. And she wasn't like she tried to support me. I told her, hey, as soon as I replace my income, there's just gonna be a phase. I'm gonna give like I'll be able to just. Be so 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 much more flexible with you, but even at that moment, I knew we were growing apart. Looking back then, because I was doing all this personal development work, and she kind of doesn't want to be involved with that. And as my self awareness grew, and as our thinking more or less began to divert, divert, that was when I saw. Like looking back, that was that was when I saw. Okay, the future in this relationship kind of became muddy. And afterwards we, like, because she got accepted to an internship program, we had to live apart two hours drive between each other. And that more or less separated us physically as, like even more, and to the point where, yep, things were just no longer working and we more or less broke up.
0: Hmm. Even though you'd done some work at that point, it still must have rocked you a bit because you you had sort of up previous to that point, you probably had plans about
1: where the future would go. Yeah, I was I was actually planning for this phase to be a little bit more rocky because we're both busy. She's working 60 plus hours per week as an intern. I was working 45 hours in my job and probably another 20 in my business. And we didn't really have time for each other, but I know as long as we go through that, like, as as long as we make it past that year, things are probably going to be way better. It's just going to be a phase. I I am pro, like I always like to map the future, and I'm quite an optimist. I still am, but yeah, we actually broke up because she cheated on me, and I was like, okay, that relationship just ended on the spot.
0: Hmm. So even though you sort of knew the path it was heading that it's still uh there's still a sense of rejection that comes up when that sort of thing happens do you remember some of the feelings that that came to you through that process
1: yeah like when i received that phone call that night i when i hung up i actually felt this mix of emotions just rushing from inside of me but then afterwards like after like five seconds there's like that silence and later on i actually realized that our like apathy and our bodies just shutting down any emotions is just a self-protective mechanism so for two months after that i felt no emotions like I, i was like i should feel sad i played sad songs or just played like these like break-up songs when i was driving to, to to work back then i was like i feel nothing and i tried going to the gym i pushed hard i actually pushed pretty hard back then because just events and but then at the same time it's like you kind of get a little bit of stimulation a little bit of emotion but you still feel like you're a zombie in some sense yeah and it was on like and 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 it took me a good two months to three months before being able to recover the emotion. And then, and then it hit me like a truck. And then I just diverted all the energy. Like I did release it, do the personal given work and divert energy towards the vision that I really want to own. And that is when I decided to just go all in with my business, hand it in my notice. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be it. Mm. Uh, that What you talked about there,
0: like being a zombie, that's such a great description. And I think anyone who's been through any sort of grief would, would identify with that. You, you kind of shut everything down and uh, then it's being ready for that wave that comes that it's like, it's like a tide that's going to come eventually uh, and you can't stop it. And I love that you've highlighted that you've done a heap of personal development work already, which really helped you through that. Can you take us back? Cause, I know the backstory, and you've described some of the pressure that you would have been feeling. But how, how, how hard were you working? Like, were you sleep deprived? Mm. Talk us through that whole situation.
1: You mean the path that led me to my burnouts? Yeah. Cool. So it all began in the third year of my degree. When I really went from just studying personal development to starting a business, I messed around with forex training for a bit and then I started an income business doing Amazon drop drop shipping followed by Amazon FBA. And yeah. back then I was just immersing myself to all this motivational talk. Like every single morning, wake up, have motivational gurus yell at you, telling <laughs> yeah. you that if you Work 12 hours per day and doesn't work, work 16 hours per day, so forth, all that BS. And I found myself in a position where I'm just struggling between two main things. I was doing work placements, studying after work placements, plus building my business, plus trying to run a basketball team. And it just became too much. I just relied on external motivation to keep myself going. And I was sleep deprived. I was chronically exhausted. I was restless. When I lay down in bed, I can really feel my heart thumping against my chest, and it was pretty bad. And it, went, it gone, it reached a point where, when one day, one day in that British summer morning, when I'm driving back from an interview, my body just shut down, and I dozed out at a wheel going 70 miles per hour on a British highway. Wow luckily no more hurts for like an act of higher power i was able to snap awake right before i was a like i was about to rear in the car in front of me swerve to the other lane missed missed the car by two inches
0: did, did that moment did everything just slow down like you can too but it was like was it everything happening just in slow motion when you think back about it
1: it slowed down after i swerved to the other lane because i was in so much shock that yeah. my own like everything every everything like every input every thing i'm feeling through my senses were just messed up and i just pulled over a side lane made it to a gas station and we're just just sitting there sweating hearts racing i was like i screwed up i screwed up Big time. Yeah, wow. Yeah. All of this talk on freedom, all this talk on chasing your dreams, all this talk on becoming the most successful version of you because hard work is the way to go, grinding, hustling, that's how you succeed. I was like, I be, just became the textbook. Definition of the high achiever who more or less almost lost everything because of his pursuit to higher achievements. Hmm. So
0: many questions. Uh, I'm reading a book on burnout at the moment, coincidentally, or, or not a coincidence. Everything's uh, for a reason, right? Surely. And, and one of the uh, quotes was saying the cause of burnout is because you're giving all your energy to other people's stuff and i'm butchering that quote but it's to that effect were you literally doing it for other people or was it more that for someone like you you've done a fair bit of work were you trying to prove your parents wrong were you trying to uh reach their expectations Mm. or was it
1: something else back then my parents actually did not know the fact that i am Messing around with businesses, so that wasn't there, because I was still in the UK and they were like halfway across the world. But I would say back then the main driver is the fear of failure, because when you grew up and in an environment where you get good grades and as long as you study hard and work hard, you will get good grades and be able to ascend the ladder and able to get your parents' approval and other people's approval. Failure is something that is very, very um, unfamiliar to me. And I would do, and my default response when something is not working out working out back then is just to double down and work, work harder. And I think a part of it is because back then, I like to put up a face, I don't want to... Like I didn't learn how to be vulnerable, vulnerable in front of people. Whatever negative emotions that I had, I just bought it up and tried to channel it towards something productive. But back then the load was just, the load become, became too big, too heavy and too unsustainable that it just caused me to shut down completely.
0: Yeah. And you said in the lead up to that, you know, you said you're like your heart, you could feel your heart beating in your chest. Were you taking any like caffeine or anything like that? Or that was purely just the stress
1: response from your body? That was pretty just a stress response from my body. Like, I'm not a big coffee drinker. I rarely drink coffee and I only drink coffee back then. Like, back then, when I'm, when I know if I don't drink coffee, I'm just going to fall asleep whilst I'm standing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's purely driven by anxiety and just restlessness.
0: Hmm. Um, you said specifically uh, typical Asian parenting, that that sort of attitude of hitting high marks and that sort of stuff. I'm sure anyone listening has had an experience and they know that there's part of them that's got that real attachment to failure and and that imposter syndrome. Could you share a little bit for the listeners in hindsight what you learned and what you have learned around failure and how you've been able to navigate the out the other side of that to something that's more productive?
1: Sure, sure. So this actually came from me immersing myself to the right network of entrepreneurs who have achieved what I want to achieve. And the more I studied these entrepreneurs, sometimes I have conversations with them, sometimes I just grab books and read the Biography of certain entrepreneurs that I admire, some of them dead, some of them alive. And one common theme that I see is that all these people just more or less felt their way up. Yeah, they really. risk, they tend to risk everything, they tend to be risk takers. And sometimes things work out, sometimes things don't. But I have never ever seen a success story that came without a both law failures that would cause the normal person to just quit or just break down. And that is when I recognized, okay, this is actually part of the process. Failure is just part of the process and you don't actually fail as long as you're able to gain feedback and extract lessons from it. And that actually accelerated my growth curve because I stopped caring about more about the outcome and it became someone who is addicted to the process and making the right decisions, even though they don't make sense. Love it. And uh the the listeners
0: would have heard me bang on about that a lot. Uh, you mentioned basketball. I come from a sporting background, so I talk a lot about that. Like the sports psych so say if you get stuck in outcome, you you you're gonna tee yourself up for failure. But the moment you come back to process, that's when you're able to access your your highest level of performance. So what are the some of the key steps you take to be able to have that process in place? Like, is there a set process for your that you have for your life in general? Or is it for each area you have a defined process to get you
1: back in that space? Absolutely, absolutely. So being a productivity systems person currently, I am addicted to creating feedback loops. I'm just obsessed with finding attribution because like as my mentor once said, and it really stuck with me, there are two worst places that I can be as an entrepreneur. The second worst place is winning but not knowing why. And the first best place is losing and not knowing why. So the process that I have right now, along with all my clients that work with me, We create feedback loops to make sure that there's attribution towards what's actually happening in our business and and in our personal performance so we can actually recognize, okay, something did not work, fine. What caused that? Or something worked, it's amazing, great. How can we turn this higher high and normalize it so that it becomes a new baseline? Because oh, you don't no. own something that you cannot repeat. Mm.
0: So good. Knowing your baseline and then having a repeatable process. Fantastic. I want to keep backpedaling because you had that defining moment that kind of shook you in the gear, but everyone's got a backstory to why they followed that sort of dream as well. So do you remember, was there a, was there a moment when you said, oh, I wanna chase this business dream? Was there mm-hmm. something that, like you mentioned you, you weren't living in the same country as your parents? Was there was there something there that sort of triggered that
1: inspiration? Yeah, I started reading books like, I think and Grow Rich, Millionaire Mindsets. I remember it was Richard Poor Dad that actually drove me to start pursuing entrepreneurship so, sorry, if I mean, backpedal before that, was it
0: just this because you were already on this trajectory of needing to be successful that your parents had instilled in you that you were searching for those sort of books? Or was there something even before that that led you there?
1: Nope. It's because of a part of culture shock and a yeah. part of loneliness and a part of me not being happy with how I'm showing up. Because back when I'm in Hong Kong high school, I have a bunch of friends, I'm open. I'm pretty extroverted, and like I would say, I have great friendships. But when I had to rebuild all of that, when I studied abroad, I was like, "Okay, something's sort gonna of change." Because now I feel like I'm a shell of myself for some reason. I'm definitely I'm experiencing some form of social anxiety for the first time in my life. Yeah, wow. And whilst I know, whilst whilst I thought I knew English. British English for some reason sounded very foreign to me. I remember like, hey, let's get fries. Fries? You mean chips? I was like, no, chips are potato chips. What what do you mean? Or or they're like, Chris. I remember some yeah, all I remember all these conversations and and it made me feel like, wait, should I know this? And <laughs> I'm making a full, full of myself and people were like, hey, do you want to grab chili for lunch? I'm like, wait, you eat chili for lunch? Like is that is that, is, that, is that it? No, 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 chili con carne. I was like, oh, that kind of chili. Like just so many of these conversations that I'm like, okay, for the first time in my life, I feel like I can't communicate. I feel like I don't have any friends. And I need to find something. And back then, mm-hmm. my anchor was just going to the gym. And I remember my like my segue to personal development was actually the all the YouTube videos that I was watching the help that um that was around fitness working out and basketball because that was like I always loved working out. Um uh, I started working out when I well, I was 16 years old and that let me like and those YouTube recommendations, it started feeding me these personal development videos. And that is what got me hooked. And I was like, wait, well, there's something called personal development that was never taught at school. Like you can actually improve yourself and no one told me that this ever even existed i was like wow (laughs) how did how did i make it through 18 years of my life without knowing (laughs) this?" 18 years um i was uh close to
0: 40 years when i was like where has this been my whole life and it's
1: like you just get a hunger for it then don't you yeah exactly exactly because like just looking at the um, Marshall's hierarchy of, of needs. Self-actualization, you can never, ever get enough of it. Love it. Was it a choice to study abroad? Your choice, I mean? It was my choice because you can't become a vet in Hong Kong. There wasn't a um, degree in veterinary, um, in veterinary medicine in Hong Kong. And if I go to... The U.S. Then you have to study four years, four years of undergraduate degree, before taking six years to get um, to become a GP vet. And wow, ten UK, years all up. Yes, ten years all up. So, UK five years is the most direct pathway that I can take. And since my grades allowed it, I was able to graduate as the youngest person who can get a vet degree possible in the world. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: So you chose, which which uh, uni did you go to in the UK?
1: So it's called, um, so it's Royal Veterinary College. It's a, um, it's a part of the University of London. And it's actually a, like, it's, it's a vet school. All the other, like I, I receive offers from other vet schools like Nottingham, Edinburgh, so forth. And those vet schools are part of a big university. But RVC back then was ranked highest. But at the same time, it's just a bad school. So, you, so, I, so I did not experience the typical fun that most college kids go to. Yep. And I had to use friend connections to join the basketball team of UCL, University College London. That's 20 minutes away. Because there was no basketball team in RVC, my vet school. They were just purely there—the probably the best of the best too, right? Yeah. And
0: uh, intelligent, and they just had no interest in anything else except what they were, what
1: they wanted to study. Yeah, I mean, like there are mountaineering clubs and there are there, 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 there's rugby clubs and there's football clubs, but then we are small. We are like it's an institution where you do nothing but vets, like. The only two degrees are bioscience and, well, bioscience, vet nursing, and being a vet.
0: So you go from a place where you feel completely comfortable, go to these friends group, into a place that feels completely isolating, completely foreign in more ways than the obvious. Were there days in those, when you just moved in those early days where you were questioning being there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm, I, I see my friends going to all these like parties or making all these friends, especially my, especially people who are in, like uh especially where friends who actually move abroad to the U.S. to study, they have these big campuses. You can actually get free tickets to college basketball games, NCAA games. And they're like, hey, I just built a like I just found friends to just rank up with me on League of Legends. Like back then I was still into gaming. And I was like, Did I make the wrong choice. <laughs> what am I doing? Why am I what am I doing? You, you you guys are having all of these fresher parties and all these like introductory or orientation camps and here I am getting a mock exam on my first week. Oh, wow. I'm like, what did I sign up for?
0: Is there part of you feel like you missed out on a big part of that rite of passage as a young person?
1: A part of it, yes. Um, I pro- Because... A pro- I don't, like, um, starting from my second or, yeah, from very first year, I have to use 10 weeks. I did rack up 10 weeks worth of work placements on top of my studies. So yeah. when every person, like, when, when, my, when my non-vet friends were having their Easter holidays or their term breaks, I used those breaks to find work placements to shadow vets or be in farms or do something that constitutes work. And I probably had one full summer holiday across my five years of studying. And in one sense, I'm grateful for the like the stamina and the work ethic that it actually gave me. Yeah. But obviously there's this part of me that feels like, yeah, I miss on some fun. But that's fine because i don't have a business and now i have and now i can actually live the lifestyle that i want so yeah. i'm catching up <laughs> i'm catching up big time
0: yeah yeah i was just thinking that as you were talking like you only have to go and look at your feed and you see some of the places that you are uh in commas doing what doing work uh to see that yeah you're well and truly making up for it which is awesome where did the fascination with animals come from did you have your own pet or was it just something that was
1: always there for you it's just always like my parents just told me like when even when i was a a little kid if i go to pet stores if i go to zoos i will just my eyes would my eyes would just open primary school favorite channel discovery slash animal planets and i remember back then like I convinced like yeah it was actually pretty traumatic as in because my my parents didn't 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 like know nothing about animal husbandry did and they did not know how to rear pets take care of pets and i remember my first two times being a pet um be a pet owner when i was five years old i got hamsters my parents did not know how to take care of them those hamsters bred And they forgot to, they don't know that you need to separate these baby hamsters with your parents. And the dad ate all these baby hamsters alive. I was like, yeah. And that was pretty traumatic to me. And two years after, when I was seven years old, I had a bunny, very cute. And it got euthanized three months after because of, like, because it was just like they got, um, she yeah my rabbit back then developed some kind of infection i pushed my parents to i told my parents hey something's wrong with with her something's wrong with her and uh yeah it it got so bad it took them two months before the appointment came in it was just too late and they're like yeah we we definitely do not want to deal with this and the they got euthanized and yeah remember like that's another traumatic experience and it, it went all the way till i was 15 years old That I, that i convince my mom and dad to foster a cat and that was the first pet that actually had the ability to rear on my own and that was just so fulfilling and I remember me just loving that cat to bits. Um yeah, she's still living in like yeah, she she's like fourteen years old now. So that's yeah, so so that's kind of like a success story, story on my end, like that kind of comeback story. I'm like, I can, like, I would never ever rely on you all to take care of any of my animals from that day on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yeah, that drove me to just like, yeah, so I love animals, I still do since I was a kid, but then I never ever want like, but but then I never thought that, like, or I never the the vision of being in an animal clinic. 50 year, uh, 50 hours per week for the next 40 years of my life that was never the life that envisioned it was kind of like and the life that was imposed on me because people are like yeah obviously you 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 work hard you get a job and what do you want so like that's what you do to earn a living and remember telling my mom that hey mom I want to be a zoologist or I want to be a marine biologist because I want to be like Bear Grylls or all these people who are doing cool things, traveling around our world, being savanas, being underwater, like National an Geographic and Animal Planets. And she's like, You go, you got these high grades, and you tell me that you want to be a zookeeper. <laughs> Choose something else. And I'm like, fine, I'll be a vet. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, wow. Do,
0: do you still feel that special bond with animals?
1: Yeah, I I still do. And my girlfriend and I were actually planning a trip to Galapagos. And it's just wow. actually a pretty um, exotic place. And we're just able to yeah, be, be, be around wildlife. And we do all these wildlife trips all the time. And engage in ecotourism because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all about charity and I'm playing seeds to collaborate with animal welfare slash net, um, natural nature conservation charities on top of business.
0: Oh, I love that. And as you know, in business, we need to have a sense of purpose around it. That is just such a beautiful combination that just fits in so well with your story as well. How important is that for you to be able to make that sort of difference in that space?
1: I mean, It's a lot like it it really drives me during the highs and lows because as long as there's something to work towards, I get inspired, I get driven. And right now, like what I'm doing with my business, it really really came from me almost killing myself to burnout. Yeah. Yeah. Like so everything I do, like back then, I know, like all these people, are like all all these people. They are all these people out there who are finding a purpose and trying to find clarity on what they want. To me, it more or less got imposed on me. Like I almost killed myself with burnout. Okay, that drove me to pivoting my goals and committing to living every single moment to the fullest from then on. And it drove me down the rabbit hole of learning everything about productivity systems, processes, leverage, so that I could achieve more and and work less. And that allowed me to then transition towards what I'm doing now with a business and help other business owners. So, yeah, that's one journey. Same thing with the seeds I'm planting with charity related to animal welfare and water conservation because that's just my passion. That's my interest. Even though I don't want to like, even though it's not a proper generator, it just gives me meaning. And that's why I'm into it. Hmm. I love that. The, well, I don't know. I was going to, I was going to
0: put words in your mouth, but I'll ask you like, how important is it for you to be able to pass these messages on? For me the best stuff I do is so that no one else has to go through what I went through. Is that part of what drives you in in that product,
1: the work you do in productivity, specifically around burnout? Oh yeah, absolutely, it drives everything because I see all these people hustling, hustling because we're just conditioned to be hustlers. But after going through what I've gone through and after conversations I had, with clients, prospects, audiences, and peers, I know this message has to be shown to as many people as possible. Like I remember me having conversations with clients who were so busy juggling between work that they had to just eat out paper plates and get takeaway food every single evening because they don't have time to cook. I've mm. seen people getting, like being very successful in business, but at the same time, their life sucks because work is all they do and they have to work 70, 80 plus hours per week just to maintain their business. And they're just missing their kids' birthdays, not able to be there for their partners, or for their families. And I'm like, you know, there's a better way to achieve your goals, right? You yep. know that you can actually have both the life that you want to experience as well as the achievements that you want as an entrepreneur, right? I've gone to show people that path.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's funny. It's a it's a reoccurring theme. I, I coach a lot of people in that same space. It's like they, they have all these goals that they want to achieve, but they're putting all of their time and energy into something that's way down their list and even people in business sort of got a passion, generally the most important thing, of course, is going to be their health and their most important relationships, but they're putting like, they might prioritize something in terms of how they look at it, but then all the evidence is suggesting the opposite. So I love that, that you've got that same passion for sharing that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, like I have these here with, with, with new clients all the time. Hey, what are your priorities? Oh, um, number one, my health, number two, family, number three, business, Number four, my own hobbies. That's not what your calendar says. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> um, but but you know, I gotta pay a bills, and I've got to you. like, I have all these things in my business, and I'm like, but do you know? By being busy, you're actually being less productive. And I'm like, and and they're like, yeah, that's why we're working with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Now you mentioned. Uh... Having things outside of business. Do you still play basketball?
1: Yeah, I just got banged up on a very nice game just twelve hours ago. Also, <laughs> <laughs> well, whereabouts are you living now? I'm living in Hong Kong, but I like right now. I am half digital nomad. I spend three or four months in a year just traveling all across the world, but Hong Kong is my home base. Yeah, nice. Has it changed? She was
0: 25 years ago since I was there, but has it changed a lot since the um
1: handover? Yeah. Um I would say everything like every time I came back to Hong Kong while I was living in UK, a little bit like yeah, things have changed and there's the yeah. I was actually living abroad, so I didn't go through all the rioting and all the like upheaval that Hong Kong experienced a few years ago, followed by a pandemic. And like right now, I would like to be honest. I am very like I I want nothing to do with politics, and I want nothing to do with any like I don't want to be in any part political parties. I don't want to be in. Like I want, don't want to take sides. The only thing that is keeping me in Hong Kong really comes back down to family, friends, and low taxes. That's probably <laughs> it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I can live anywhere. Seriously, mm. I, like mm. I, I like I have every reason to move to Phuket, move to Thailand, or move to Bali or any cool places. But yeah, I'm here because at the end of the day, it's home. Friends are here, families are here, and I travel all I travel all across the, across the world. But it's my home base.
0: Yeah, love it, and yeah. that ties into the three things you talked about at the start: income, freedom, and uh, sorry, yeah, income, freedom, and impact. So you're making sure you've got all three of those covered there. Um, yeah, you, you're definitely a business owner the, the, with the tax part there. I <laughs> uh, love it. What's your relationship like with your parents now?
1: We're good. We're good. We kind of made up and I told like, because at the end of the day, your parents, they just want the best out of you. But what yeah. they think is best for you is not what actually is best for you. So I just had to set boundaries and and tell my parents hey i mean like my dad's cool because he his career is built on sales so he kind of understands what it looks like to work for um to, to hunt for your own like to 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 hunt for yourself and be an entrepreneur because sales roles are more or less like entrepreneurs. Yeah, um right. it's mainly the discrepancy of values that i have with my mom so because she's all into security like security is probably her top value and I'm like, um I'm good. You don't have to like I'll take you out for dinner, but just but we just have to stop talking about. Like if you don't have good things to say about my business, just talk about something else and we're good. And oh. yeah, that's where that, that's where I'm that's where we're at. We're good.
0: Okay. Here's a thought. I just did a post on on this, this week. Not that specifically but we grieve when the future that we expected is taken away, so I imagine your mum how many you got siblings? yeah, I have a younger brother, yeah, so your mum would have sort of uh from the moment you're born have this idea about where you where she thought you would go and and what she would help you to achieve and then uh and then when you go and do something different that that's probably challenging all of her beliefs in that future vision, right? What do you think it would take for her to see things differently? Or is she, is she
1: already slowly coming around? Mm. So I think it got all back down to the choice that we're both aware of. As in, I can either choose to accomplish her dreams of me or... Accomplish the dreams I have for myself, and she simply needs to understand that hey, if you want to be, if you want your son to be happy, if you want your son to actually step with the best version of, of himself. You've got to let him do his thing, and yes, sometimes I would like sometimes I just have to remind her by treating her out to nice dinners or buying buying her good things. And and it's just a slow process of reconditioning the way she thinks and making sure that I got my message across as in I'm happy, I'm safe, you don't have to worry about me, and we can go from there. Yeah, love it.
0: I'm. I'm just curious. You don't have to answer this because it's not your brother's story. But has he had to wear any extra pressure as a result of your
1: choices? No, I'm. I'm. I'm still the person who, like, I'm still a sibling who is shouldering the bulk of the pressure. Oh wow! Is that is that a firstborn thing in your culture? Um, I don't think it's less, It's more of a firstborn thing. But I would say, just the career path that we have right now the earning potential and the potential of meeting care of my parents when they grow old, which they are doing as we speak right now, like my earning potential and my ability to just um, like support them is way higher than my brother. Like my brother is like, he's a, he's an academic. He's studying PhD right now in physics. So yeah, he is pretty smart. He's pretty intelligent, but like if you want to be a college professor or a researcher, yeah, it doesn't really pay the best. Hmm. Do you feel that pressure? I don't feel that pressure because the expectations I have myself financially is higher than they have for me. Okay. Well, do you feel that pressure from your own goals then? Yeah. I feel the pressure on my own goals. And like, I'm a firm believer that if I'm the person who is the hardest on myself, then yeah. Nobody else can really um, it, it's just about exposure therapy, right? But if if, if you're the person who sets a high expectation on yourself, then you don't really feel obligated to meet under susp- ex- expectations. And also like if you expose yourself to challenges that actually goes beyond your expected goals, then the pathway like then then the cost of achieving your goals is actually bearable. One thing I have to learn myself though, which is something that my beautiful partner is really helping me through, is just to learn how to go easy on myself and give myself some grace. So that's because like for me, I operate in like as if I am I am engaged in high-intensity interval training. Like if I go on holidays, I'm like fully off. But if I'm in the sprints, I'll go fully on. And that's, that's a concept that I share with my clients. Like my way of approaching productivity produces two things. Number one, speed. And number two, space. So I either use productivity and my own leverage to speed up to achieve what I want to achieve, or I use productivity and my processes to create space for me to recover, for me to live life, and for me to enjoy whatever that I want outside of business. Either way, it drives me, and I just need to obviously work, work and understand more about, OK, how can I tune into more of my intuition? How can I listen to my feelings a little bit more? And how can I continue thriving? without, yeah, being too hard myself.
0: Love that. I wonder if we could get you to, like, obviously you can't share all your wisdom in five minutes, but if you could just share some knowledge for the listeners and specifically around this. What you just described then, right? It's like two speeds. And whether it's football, basketball, life, there's always two speeds. And it's the... The people who are best, the the ability to switch gears, change direction, to to change speeds from fast to slow really quickly. That sounds like it's become just such a natural thing for you from all that you've been through. What's the key thing or things that people need to learn to be able to switch off so that when they are not in the doing and then they're trying to switch off, What's the key thing they need to do to be able to actually switch off so that they're not still got their head in the game?
1: Mm. I would say first thing, everything comes back down to clarity because if you cannot see past the next month, then you just be reactive. But if you can be very clear on exactly what your priorities are, where you're heading towards and what actually gives you meaning, then you don't really care a lot about what happens today, next week, next month, or next quarter. Like, I love this quote. I forgot who owned this quote, but I'm just going to share it. Factory workers think day-to-day. Senior managers think quarter-to-quarter. CEOs think year years, visionary and saints, they think decades, decades. The longer your time horizon, the less reactivity you'll have, and as you and as you reduce reactivity, you will allow yourself to actually enjoy that space, keep your boundaries protected, and maintain clarity towards what actually matters at the end of the day so it all comes down to clarity
0: love that so just before we wrap up michael what is your clarity for your uh, future long-term vision
1: yeah around the impact that you want to create we're here to become the best culture and consulting company for entrepreneurs to grow and scale their return on time and i say return on time because we don't optimize for top line revenue if i double your income by doubling your work hours i will have failed yeah. i would rather scale and grow your return on time so that you can ex- so that we can help more and more entrepreneurs to experience abundance freedom and autonomy simultaneously i want <laughs> to do the best in the game to do that Love it. Love it.
0: Michael, thank you so much. Before we jumped on, you were saying, oh, I'm not sure if I've, you know, had some of the depths of, of trauma or grief that other people have. But when you've described your story, there are certainly lots of, lots of moments there that, yeah, would have to have had a significant impact on your psyche. I always look at it this way. It's like Comparing your trauma to somebody else's trauma is doing yourself a disservice like it is any external comparison. You know the impact it had on you. What I love is that you've been able to share the choices that you made to be able to then turn that into something positive, not just for yourself, but to have a, a bigger impact. And And I really thank you for sharing your story. That is mine. Thanks for giving us space and thanks for giving me time. You're welcome. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.